Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Uh, The rest of you, go ahead and get your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We are are obviously uh, taking a break from the Life of David uh, series, and we're, but it's for an important reason. Uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. Now, nationally, this day is recognized, will be recognized uh, this coming year, uh, January 22nd, Sunday, January 22nd. Uh, but we are going to focus on it today. Uh, we're going to spend some time in the Word of God talking about the sanctity of life. And I, I've struggled uh, with this message for a lot of reasons. It's a very divisive issue, even especially in our current church culture, because of some of the things that younger believers have been taught from society and from culture, that it's, it's very divisive. Uh, and I, I struggle with it because most of the time when you hear uh, preachers, especially Baptist preachers, get up and preach about the sanctity of life, uh, it's, it's very hate-filled, in my opinion. Uh, and I've studied the scriptures a lot, and the only people I've ever seen Jesus be mean to were the religious hypocrites. And the sinners, he showed love and compassion and mercy to, which I'm thankful for because when you say the sinner, I'm one of those sinners. So are you. So is everyone that's ever been born. We are no better or worse than anyone. And so I've struggled with this message. Uh, because we're looking at a divisive issue, and I was reading an article uh, by Carl Truman. He's a professor of religion at Westminster Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania. It was written back in 2021, uh, kind of on the the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned, uh, and that that decision looming. And he he was looking at our culture in America, and he you know you can look at our culture and say we are. We are a very divided society. We're divided over, over every issue, big issues, small issues, it doesn't matter. We're divided over, over gun violence. And I'm not saying, you know, some are for gun violence, some are against it, but what do we do with it? How do we handle the gun problem in our country? How do we handle the gun violence that we deal with, with LGBTQ rights? How do we, how do we as a society treat people with human decency, but as Christians, also stand up for the truth of the gospel and preach the truth of Jesus with drug reform. You know, the war on drugs, that's, you know, that's one reason I, don't, I avoid these topics, because it can get political, and most of y'all would not like my political leanings. The war on drugs has failed. We've lost that war. Uh, so how do we deal with drug reform? How do, we, how do we handle those things? Prison reform, our prison system, is a mess Education, our educational system is a mess. How do we deal with these things? And we're divided over how, and you know, it's not that we don't recognize the problems, but we, we're divided over how to handle the problems, how to take care of the problems. Now, Truman's point was that the division that we, we feel in every topic, how big or how small it is, the division that we feel is more than just an intellectual or a political or a moral division. He says that the problem that we deal with in division in our country is that it is a fact of, it's an issue of dueling realities. Two different groups of people, two different people 
view the world differently. To one group, this is real, this is how things should go, and to the other group, this is real, and that's how to go. They're completely different pictures of you know, what is actually real in the world and how to handle things, and that's true. That's why you can look at uh, things happening in our world, in our culture, and think, that's crazy. Who would ever think that? For instance, I, don't, I think I know most of you, I hope none of you are here, and if you are and you're a part of this group, I offend you, I'm sorry. PETA, you know, the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Look, I think we should treat animals, I love animals. I think we should treat them with respect. I think we should treat them humanely, but they're good. God made them delicious for a purpose. Bible tells me in Genesis, eat meat. I'm obeying the Bible when I eat bacon. I'm just following God's word. But some PETA people, they can put some of the most ridiculous commercials out there and the most ridiculous claims, like, you know, uh, cows have just as much human rights as people do. No, because they're not people. They're cows. And look, if they shouldn't taste so good if we should treat them right, you know? That's just how it is. Uh, and so you, they, you look at that and think, man, that, who would think that? That's insane. But then the person who thinks that looks at you and says, I don't know how you can disagree with me. That's insane. They have two different views of what reality really truly is. And so the pressure I have when proclaiming the Word of God in any situation, but specifically in a divisive, difficult topic, is I have to teach the Word of God faithfully and truly, and I have to attack an ideology that is contrary to the Word of God without attacking the person that believes it. That's the problem. I have to, this is what the Bible says, I have to attack your beliefs, but not attack you. Not attack the people that deal with it. Uh, you know, most of you, you know how much I, I love animals. In our house, we have six dogs and a cat. Pray for our cat. Um, I only see her when she's hungry. I think the rest of the time she's hiding. She's going to die one day, and I'm not going to know until the house starts to smell bad. Uh, but we got six dogs and, and one cat. Uh, I love the wildlife in my neighborhood. I feed my squirrels regularly. I feed the deer in my neighborhood regularly. I think of them as my pets. We have one deer in our neighborhood, uh, a doe, that comes to our house every night for dinner. Her name is Daisy. Uh, I don't know if that's really her name. That's what I call her. Daisy the deer. Uh, every night I put out a, a, a little pan of corn, and she'll come and she'll, she'll eat that corn. And she's gotten so used to us, me and April, we'll sit on the porch and watch her. And she, she sees us there. You know, when she first started, we have to whisper, hey, there's the deer. And now we're like, hey, Daisy. And Daisy's gotten so used to us, she's just like, what's up, guys? And she'll sit there and she'll eat with us. And when she's done eating, she just casually meanders away. It's gotten so, she's gotten so used to it uh, when April was out of town one night, I forgot to feed her before it got dark. And like I was going to bed at like 11 o'clock, I was like, oh, I forgot to feed Daisy. So at 11 o'clock, I go out there, I put the pan of corn down. And as soon as I get back on the porch and turn around, there's Daisy eating. Like she was waiting for me. Like, where's this guy? Service stinks today. And I, I love my deer. I love the, the bucks that we have uh, coming out. You know, Daisy, a couple weeks ago, uh, or about a month ago, Daisy had a baby. Here's a picture of the baby uh, on the screen. That's, that's Daisy, and that's her little baby. And we love Daisy, and we love her little baby. 
couple of days after I took this picture, I saw a fawn dead on the side of the road in my neighborhood. Ever since Daisy's been coming alone. I'm heartbroken for Daisy. But Daisy doesn't seem to care. Daisy's fine with a dead kid. Which is why animals are different than people. They're just, they're made differently. You know, I love my dogs. I'm going to fight for my dogs. I will kill for my dogs. Not my cat, but my dogs. Uh, maybe not Annie, uh, but the rest of the dogs, I will. Uh, but no matter how much I love my dogs, no matter how much I love my deer, no matter how much I love my squirrels, they're just animals. They're just, they have no soul. They have no conscience. They have no morality. They have nothing that we do. We are different, uniquely different than the rest of creation. And if we, if we understand how we as humans are uniquely different than all the rest of creation, it'll, it'll really take care of a lot of the vision that we face in our world. So look in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse number 26. <clears throat> the Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. As humans, we are created specifically different than the rest of creation. If you read the creation story, God spoke everything into existence. He spoke the, the world into existence. He spoke and the waters divided from the land. He spoke and the, the fish inhabited the sea. He spoke and the, 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 the mammals and the animals filled the, filled the land. He made them in one particular way, but when he got to mankind, he said, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to make man, in, and he uses the term our image. That's a trinity, the triune God. He goes, I'm going to make them different than everything else I've made. Unique from everything else in creation. Unlike the rest of creation, we have a moral, a spiritual, and an intellectual capacity that nothing in, the, nothing in their el else in creation has. We are different from all of creation for a lot of reasons. One of the biggest reasons we're different from the rest of creation is we have moral concepts. We have morality. We have, the, the, we have a, a right to decide, the ability to decide what is good and what is wrong and what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is bad. You know, my dog doesn't have moral concepts. Scarlet, my dog, you know, the rest of them have their, she's my dog. She's the best dog. I had a dog when I was a kid. I had a dog that could talk. She's better than that dog. Because while Boomer could talk, Boomer was too stupid to stay out of the road and got hit by a car. So... At least Scarlett's smarter than that. She's a smart dog. She's, I mean, look, when uh, we had Max before Max, uh, from? Eventually, Adam. See, Job 14.4. Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Job 15.14. What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. The Bible argues that life, that being made in the image of God, having moral 
concepts, having the ability to decide what is right and what is wrong starts at the moment of conception. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Spiritual, moral reality begins at conception. See, humanity is of greater value than all the rest of creation. That doesn't mean we mistreat the rest of creation, but as humans, we are unique. We are special in the eyes of God. All of human- and that means that all of humanity is worthy of dignity, value, and respect. No matter who they are, no matter what they believe, no matter what race they are, what gender they are, what sins they struggle with, every single person... No matter how big, no matter how small, no matter what they deal, what their ethnic background is, their political leanings, every single human is worthy of our dignity and respect, no matter who they are. No matter their political ideologies, every person has value in the eyes of God. That belief, that truth, helped stop the slave trades hundreds of years ago. It helped end the Holocaust. It stopped countless evils throughout human, throughout history that humans are prone to do towards one another. We are all made in the image of God and we are equal in value and in dignity and in worth. This doctrine, matter, this doctrine matters especially for the most vulnerable humans in our society. This doctrine is what shapes believers' view on abortion, but it also shapes how we respond to it. Look, I'm not talking politics because, like I said, I, I despise politics, and if we really wanted to talk politics, most of you would be mad at me and would never come back to this church. So I don't, and plus, in my opinion, politics have no place in the pulpit of God. So you want to talk politics, we'll meet at my house, and we'll have a cup of coffee, and you'll get mad and leave. And that's fine. But we're not going to talk about it here. Uh, plus, I hate politics. I, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tell you the truth that is found in the Word of God. I'm telling you what God says. And that's more important than any political ideology. That's more important than any political opinion anyone in the world can have. There is no one more vulnerable in our country right now than the unborn. Now, Abby, when, at the end of the service, she's going to give you a little bit more info about it, but I, I, I did a little bit of research, and I think that there are 2,367 abortions performed every day in the United States. Now, that's not worldwide. That's, I may be wrong, maybe higher, I don't know. She'll tell you. I'm just saying what I found on Google. 2,367 abortions every day in the U.S. And look, we all know the biblical arguments for protecting life. We've looked at them. If you've grown up in church any amount of time, you've, you know about them. What about what science tells us? Because that's what a lot of people argue with now. Well, yeah, the Bible says that, but science tells us this. Nobel Prize winner Dr. Jerome Lehume, he's the he is the Nobel Prize winning biologist that discovered the gene uh, that causes Down syndrome. He says, after fertilization has taken place, a new human has come into being. He's not a, he's not a Christian. He's an atheist. But he says, as soon as the egg is fertilized, that's a new life. 
That's a person. Dr. Jason uh, T. Herbal, uh, in, a, in a, uh, a magazine, Bioethics, says, as far as human life per se, it is for the most part uncontroversial among the scientific and philosophical community that life begins at the moment when the genetic information contained in the sperm and ovum combine to form a genetically unique cell. Broken down, he says, as soon as fertilization happens, life begins. In a recent survey, 95% of biologists affirmed the biological view that life begins at conception. The Bible and science do not oppose each other. Science reveals the truth in the Bible. But here's some more facts. By eight weeks, a baby in the womb can suck their thumb. They recoil from pain. They can feel pain in the womb. They respond to sound. By eight weeks, every organ is present in their body. Their brain is functioning. Their heart is pumping. The liver is making blood cells. The, the kidneys are, are filtering their blood. They even have fingerprints. At 21 weeks, a baby can survive outside the womb. The Bible and science do not disagree with each other. They agree life begins at conception. Now, there are some other arguments that people make, and we all know them, and we're going to go over them, to justify abortion. We honor the pro-choice mantra, my body, my choice. And look, I believe, I agree 100%. Any man, woman has the right to decide what happens with their body, period. But here's the thing. A baby grows inside a woman's body. It's not her body. She's just the vessel God has chosen to use to bring that new body into the, into the world. A baby, as soon as it's conceived, as soon as fertilization happens, has its own unique DNA. Has its own organs. Has its own blood type. How can you argue that a baby inside of a woman who has its own fingerprints, its own DNA, its own organs, its own blood type, it's, everything's working on its own, how can we argue, well, that's the, that's the woman's body? No, it's not. It's, it's in her body, but it's not her body. It's a unique individual. Can't make the argument that you should be able to do with whatever your body... And, and look, here's another thing. You cannot really honestly say, I have the right to do with my body whatever I want to do. Okay, go to downtown Roanoke, strip naked, and walk around. It's your body. You can, you can do that. You're going to jail. So it's not your body, your choice. There's limitations to what we can do with our own body. I can't use my body to kill you. Well, I chose to use my body to pull that trigger. Doesn't matter. I've taken a life, and I'm responsible for it. So you can't really make that argument. Our country has decided to base our educational system around standardized testing. And the reason for this is, is, is understandable. Uh, the, more, the higher test scores a school gets on standardized tests, then the more money they get when the next school year comes. So, you know, schools need a lot of money, and I understand that. Uh, I fully believe in our educational system. And look, I believe our educational system needs a lot more money thrown at it, especially teachers. Our teachers are 
the most underpaid group of people in our society, except for Baptist pastors. The base salary for a teacher in the United States is $54,000 a year. You know what the base salary for a first-year senator is? $190,000 a year. Personally, I think we should make the teachers pay them $190,000 and make the senators get a job at Walmart uh, to supplement their income. They're way overpaid. Uh, well, we, you, the, so what we pay our, our, our teachers is ridiculous, but that's the point. The point is that our culture, our educational system has shifted from teaching our children to think rationally to just teaching them the answers to questions so they can make more money. But it hasn't always been that way. They used to teach students to think with reason. It was a concept that was called first principles. First principles is a philosophy or a concept that you use to apply to complex ethical situations. And look, the abortion situation is complex. There are, are thousands of questions around the circumstances and the rights and how we should uh, 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 outlaw things or what we should allow. There's thousands of ethical, complex questions we have to answer. For instance, what about rape and incest? What do we do in those situations? What about when the life of the mother is in danger? What about when the life of the unborn child will not survive because of a deformity? There are real people in real situations that are really difficult that have to ask themselves these questions. There are people in situations that I hope me or none of my family or my kids ever have to answer. But they're out there. We've got to deal with these difficult ethical questions. How do we navigate those questions when someone who loves God, as someone who loves God, we seek to serve God, and we seek also to love people in difficult situations. Use the concept of first principles. If what you looked at, if what we have looked at is true biblically and scientifically, then the principle of first principles teaches us, no matter what the situation is, we don't kill babies. That's the first principle. Life is valuable. Life is cherished. And no matter what situation, no matter what question we can ask, we don't, we don't, we don't kill children. Now we've got to add complexity to it. If we make abortion illegal, then women are going to suffer. Women are going to die. And look, we've seen it happen in Texas. Since the overturn of Roe v. Wade, maternal mortality rates have more than doubled in Texas. In Texas, it's higher than any other state in the country, but it's higher than 95% of other countries in the world. So that's a difficult situation. If we take that right away, women are going to suffer. Does that mean we still kill babies? Of course not. We can't say that. What about the foster care system in our country? The foster care system in our country is a mess. It's terrible. It's, and I agree with that. We have to fix the foster care system. But do we fix foster care by killing more babies? Of course not. We can't stand by that. No reasonable person can argue that. Then look, there are a lot of, of red herring arguments that, that are used, and we've all heard this one. If you really cared about life, then you would oppose the death penalty. Now look, right off the bat, let me tell you this. Biblically, I see the biblical argument for the death penalty. Personally, I don't agree with it. I'm personally of the stance, if I'm going to stand for life, I stand for all life. And it's been used too much. Not preaching. 
been used too much, it's been used wrongly, innocent people have been killed. So me personally, morally speaking, I don't agree with it. I, I believe that pro-life means I, I, I support and protect all life. Now, that being said, someone murders my wife or one of my children, they better pray the police get to them first because then it's up to me. And I've already told April, you know, and Lexi, because she's about to start dating, I'm like, look, if you ever do something stupid and me have to go to prison, I'm going, I'm going to death row where I'm in solitary conf- I'm not doing gym pomp. I'm going to be I'm going to hurt somebody so bad they're going to put me all by myself. So look, personally, I don't think the state should murder people, but I for an eye means I get to if they don't get there first. So that's my personal opinion. Now, that's an important topic that needs to be talked about. But the death penalty and abortion are two separate topics. They're two different issues. Whether we support the death penalty or not doesn't mean, well, I support the death penalty, therefore we should be able to kill babies. One's a guilty person, one's an innocent life. You can't use that argument. Or, if we cared about, plan, if we cared about women, then we would support Planned Parenthood. Because, look, they offer a lot of services besides just abortion. I, I did the research on this one. There are six... Planned Parenthood centers in Virginia, four of them perform abortion of some kind or another. So that means there are two Planned Parenthood centers that are just women's health centers. And look, we need women's health centers. I'm not saying we don't. And look, you can't say, well, just go to a doctor. Not everybody has insurance. Not everybody can afford a doctor. So look, we need women's health centers for, you know, mammograms and all the stuff you women are complicated, all the stuff you need. I don't know what it is, but it's stuff. It's complicated. So you need people who are specialized in your complicated lives. But besides, in, the, in, in Virginia, besides Planned Parenthood, there are 114 women's health centers, non-profit women's health centers that offer every single thing a woman's health needs that Planned Parenthood does, but they don't offer abortion. So if you cared about women's health, you'd, you'd support Planned Parenthood. Why? We've got 114 in our state alone that take care of women free of charge. And most of them are supported by believers who give them money to do what they need to do. So since Planned Parenthood offers some women health services, should we just keep letting them kill babies? Of course not. Or if we really cared about women we'd support their right to choose. Of those 114 women's health centers, I checked their websites of about 50 of them. I called 12 of them all across the state. Everyone I checked their website and everyone I called, they offer post-abortive care. Care for a woman who, even if she chooses to have an abortion, they'll help her mentally and physically, and most of them spiritually. Planned Parenthood doesn't do that. They do the abortion on your own. But of these 114 centers, the majority of them take care of women who choose to go through an abortion. They, choose, they are there to help. I know the Blue Ridge Women's Centers does. I know Love Life does. They're here today. They're going to talk about it too. They take care of, of women who, and men who, even if they don't choose what we would have had them choose, still love them. Still take care of them. Why? Because they still need Jesus. They still need the gospel. They still need grace and mercy. 
So who really loves women and children? Who really, the people who, who really gives millions of dollars to help care for women? And look, that's a heavy subject that affects men and women. And if it's, if the data is true, some of you here have been affected by it, by this decision, by this choice, by this issue, or you will be one day. It's something, and some of you have had, who have been dealt with it, maybe somebody who's listened has dealt with it, they, they keep it hidden, they keep it secret because of shame and regret. Now look, again, let me be clear. I'm attacking an ideology, not a person. God, no matter what you have done, God loves you, and so do I. God is there for you, and I want our church to be as well. You can't out-sin the forgiveness of God. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ paid the sin debt for all sin ever committed by anyone, not just the ones I think aren't that bad. All of them. The story of the Bible... Is one, that, uh, is, God, is one that God uses. The story of the Bible shows us that God uses the, what we consider the outcast and the worthless of society to show his love. You know, the biggest stars in the Bible, the, the biggest heroes of the Bible, they were train wrecks. They're murderers. They're adulterers. They're thieves. They're liars. In their past, they were terrible. Look at the lineage of Jesus in, in Matthew. The book of li- the lineage of Christ in Matthew includes four women, which was odd for any lineage in the Bible. Of those four women, there's two prostitutes. There's one Gentile woman who, if you study the scriptures, did some not Christ-like things to grab her man. And then there's Bathsheba. A lot of people pick on Bathsheba. I'm not. David was the king. It's all David's fault there. But we've got these four women that have some, some shady path that you wouldn't want to broadcast in your... Hey, this is my great-grandma. She was a hooker. We don't want to declare that. But here's Jesus going, hey, my great-grandma, man, she was something else. But God's love and God's mercy and God's forgiveness came over her life and did whatever she could. The lineage of Jesus is almost a world's biggest sinner con- uh, contest. Honestly, most of the people in the lineage of Christ, if they applied for a job here at our church, I couldn't hire them. They wouldn't pass a background check. The Bible is filled with bad people who did terrible things, but they found forgiveness, they found healing. And you can too. There is no sin that you can commit that God's going to look at you and say, Nope, that's too much. That's a step too far. Which means, as a believer, there's no sin anyone in the world can commit that I should look at them and say, You're, you can't be used of God. Because if God can use me, if God can forgive me, God can forgive anybody. There is no one beyond the forgiveness and healing of God. Ephesians 5.11 says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. The word reprove there in the Greek means to expose. What I've been trying to do today is to expose not just the darkness in our society, the darkness in our country, but the darkness in our our hearts. Here's what I mean. 
as Christians, we tend to look at things like abortion and LGTB. We look at them as the worst sins imaginable. But in the eyes of God, they're no worse than your pride. They're no worse than your greed. They're no worse than your lust. That you, all, you, you, you have a temper problem? In God's eyes, it's no, worse than, it's no worse than abortion. They're all the same. And even and look, people who are facing the tragic issue of abortion, they committed sin to get to that choice. We, got, we understand that. Sin brought them there. But God doesn't say, well, I'm, I'm done with you. Nobody can out God. God died and rose again for every sin. So I want to rally us to a cause which is more than just abortion. We know as believers, we stand against abortion. But here's the thing. If we are going to stand against abortion, then we should stand with those who have been through it. We should stand with those who may have made a decision we don't agree with. But God still loves them. God still died for them. We need to show them, stand with men and women who've had, a, who've had to face a choice that we've never had to face. Praise God, we've never had to face it. Show them the love of God and the truth of God to help them make the right choice. And then stand with them and support them and love them if they make the choice we want them to make or not. If someone is dealing with the shame of a past abortion, they don't have to live with it forever. God offers grace and forgiveness and mercy to anyone, no matter what sin they've committed. In John 8, Jesus encounters a woman who is caught in, the, in, the, in adultery. The Bible says caught in the very act, and these men drag her to Jesus for Jesus to... And I've always wondered, where's the guy? She didn't, you don't commit adultery by yourself, just so you all know that. So it's like, well, I committed adultery, but it was just me. No, I wasn't. That's not adultery. You, you, where's the dude? But different culture, different society, different people. But they bring her before Jesus, throw her down, start saying, Jesus, you gotta, you know, are you going to judge her? And they've all got rocks to kill her. And Jesus sits down and he writes in the sand. I always wonder what he wrote. And I don't know if he wrote the names of their, their mistresses, wrote their sin. I don't know what he wrote, but whatever he wrote, Jesus starts writing and says, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. And they all drop their stones and, and leave. But the woman's still there. Crowd's left. She's there in front of Jesus feeling shame, feeling regret for her sins. And Jesus looks at her and says, has anyone condemned you? She says, no. He says, well, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. It's not our job to condemn people because Jesus didn't. He offered grace and forgiveness to everyone who seeks. It's our job to offer love, grace, mercy, healing, and forgiveness because that's what God gave us. Yes, we stand with babies. We stand against abortion. But we do it in a loving way, and we stand with those who may have chosen differently than we would, but they're still in the image of God. They're still worthy of respect and dignity and forgiveness, because that's what we got. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. 
Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.